Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. Uh, please don't forget the donate button, subscribe and share and so on. And we'll be back in just a sec, few seconds with Ann Morrison and a discussion about life in rural Wisconsin. A couple of months ago, I invited Ann Morrison, a viewer of the analysis.news, to make a video comment after she wrote me an intriguing note. She made a video, which you can find on our site, and talked about why her neighbors in rural Wisconsin voted for Republicans and Trump and against the Democrats. Her comment struck a chord with our viewers, so I've invited her back to discuss the issue further. So first, a little bit about Anne. So she's a fifth-generation native of Rockwa, Wisconsin. Her great-great-grandfather, Father Nathaniel, having been one of the town's founders. At 18, she left, as did many of her peers, and attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison. After college, she spent a year in Southern California, then left the U.S. in 1985 for postgraduate work in the U.K., where she married and lived in East London. 2004, she returned to her hometown in Viroqua after losing her husband to pancreatic cancer, and she raised her daughter there. She's been a contract worker for FEMA, traveling around the entire U.S. since 2010. I should add, as a contract worker, she was not entitled to health or retirement benefits, and for many years, she had no health insurance at all. She worked for FEMA during Katrina, both in Mississippi and New Orleans, she says she had a front row seat to disaster capitalism. So now joining us from rural Wisconsin is Ann Morrison. Thanks for joining us, Ann. Thank you. So when you were in, at, in Katrina, for, you worked for the Army, Army Corps of Engineers first and then for FEMA. Um, so first of all, but you were a contract worker. What did that mean? I was a part-time um, temporary. I was classified as part-time and temporary. So therefore, you don't qualify for um, retirement or health benefits. So you don't have, you, you're working for the federal government, essentially, but you don't have health insurance. No, we don't. Well, we don't. No. The Stafford Act, which started FEMA, and we're Stafford Act employees, and for some reason, Stafford Act employees also cannot qualify to uh, get into the government, um, federal government um, retire retirement schemes, pension. So no pension, no health benefits. Doesn't make any So you're civil servants without any of the rights and privileges of being a civil servant. Absolutely. But they remind us, you know, first few gates, first week in office, he said that the disaster assistance employees were nothing more than temporary walk-ons. And a lot of these people had been working since 1979 when um, Carter set it up, man. You know, it's just like- Who, they who were, said that? Who said this? Craig Fugate, who was the director that Obama put in to be, he was the director of FEMA. So you're in the midst of this Katrina crisis. You yourself don't have health uh, benefits or, or much job security, I would guess. But you're also working among some of the poorest people in the country. Yes. Uh, Katrina, um, when I was initially deployed down there, it was uh, beginning of October in 2005. 
And we were in Mississippi, right where the eye came in. So we were evacuated for Rita when that hit. And at Katrina, with the Corps of Engineers, I wasn't really working with individuals like I did later with FEMA. We were building temporary public structures, like setting up double white trailers for schools. And and as you started to get a sense of what the crisis was uh, for people, both during Katrina and, and your other work for FEMA, you, you told me you spent a lot of time working in rural America all over the country. Uh, what did you observe and how did that affect you? Well, um, what I observed is there are a lot of people, large swaths of America living in poverty below $15,000 a year per annum. And poor people always live in the flood zones and they get flooded out. And, you know, FEMA, when I was working for FEMA, you know, the max grant was 33,000 and it was like, it was do or die or make it or break it. If you got that $4,000 to replace your furnace so you could go on and live another day. And at Katrina, well, that was just unbelievable. It was just a post-apocalyptic in Mississippi. I mean, it was like somebody dropped the bomb. So I didn't meet a lot of the people there. But one thing struck me was I was working rebuilding a school. I mean, temporary public structures, double-wide trailers. As a landscape architect, I mean, I was quality assistance. I could handle that. I'm not an engineer, but um, I met one of the principals of the school. She came in and they were supposed to wear steel-toed boots on the job site. And this was a principal and she was wearing sandals. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, you know, you need to put, she's at least with tops on and I wasn't being like anal. And she goes, these are the only pair of shoes I have right now. It's like, Wow. And this was, I can't imagine. I mean, there's just so much death, and it was just wild. And later on, I, in two, early 2006, I was in New Orleans, and it was so toxic, and everyone was getting sick the workers, and I can't imagine the people living there. It was just such a toxic stew. And what else I observed, observed there was, you know, disaster capitalism kind of when it started and you know they have the prime contractor which is the big guys on the top and then they have the general contractor and then they have the subcontractors subcontractors don't make much money generals do okay prime contractors they make a lot of money and you, your point was they were making money out of this disaster well yes I mean yeah disaster capitalism I mean Indeed. And I have also worked for the nonprofit world briefly a couple of years here in Wisconsin. And nobody was making that much money here. But um, So when did you get back to Wisconsin? The last time. Well, well you were oh. traveling for FEMA, but you'd keep going back to Wisconsin, then you'd hit the road and then go home again. Is that it? Yeah. I mean, I was gone 
it depended. When I worked individual assistance, there's there's busy disaster years and there's slow disaster <laughs> years. So it depends. Um, big disaster years like Hurricane Sandy. I mean, I was gone most of that year. And then um, 2016, there was a whole bunch. 2016, 2017, I was gone most of that year as well. Um, and then when I switched over to the public assistance side of it. When we talked last, uh, we were talking about life in rural Wisconsin and, and how uh, the area had changed. Why don't we just talk a little bit about that again over the last few decades? How, how has you know your town and your, your county and area changed both in terms of people's lives and politically? Well, I mean, coming up, like I said in the um, video comment, um, we were uh, an area, Lake Wobegon-ish, a lot of Norwegians here. And I never really thought of us as ethnic until Garrison Keillor wrote that. And I was like, oh, my God, we are distinct because it was just so spot on. I know he's had scandals since, but anyway, it was funny. We lo we all loved it. But um, it was an area of small dairy farms and Farmers got milk subsidies, and we were a median um, household income of the United States. And it was before, um, it was starting growing up to have the big stores, big box. Shopping malls had just started when I was growing up. But our town, I mean, we had like six grocery stores, five shoe stores, a dozen um clothing stores, several hardware stores, three lumber yards. I mean, and all of it was like in this like three block radius downtown that was like the center of our universe. I mean, it was just the you know center of the universe for all of us kids and we were just free range. We just ran around and we had no restraints. We just rode our bikes and went to the pool and, you know, we didn't realize that everything was going to change. And, you know, for my parents, uh, my parent, I'm the youngest, so my parents were older. My father was a, born in 1911, so he graduated high school in 1929. <laughs> it's a great year. And he had a friend of his, him, his, Punk and Durden, who became James Durden, when they moved out to, they, they rode the rails out to California, you know, picked fruit and all that. James Durden, Punk, and stayed. And he became like the mayor of Glendale. Dad came back. And then yada, yada, yada. World War II, Dad went in in 39 in the National Guard. And they were in New Guinea for a long time. And he was the um, sergeant of all the guys who were from around here. And, you know, New Guinea was brutal. Um, and he didn't talk about it a lot, you know, but I've heard secondhand from different vets. And he came back, he's like 118 pounds. He's only five. What did he do? What, 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 what was his Master sergeant. They actually offered him a officer. He turned it down. 
He also was given a train ticket to go to the White Sox too in the 30s, and he never went to the farm camp. But he was just that guy. But anyway, after that, there these men, they just thought he was God's gift. I mean, it was a bit narcissistic as it was, but it's like, oh my, Bud Morrison is here. But anyway, the difference that I'm making is he grew up here. His first job, his father was a bootlegger, local bootlegger, was running bootleg during Prohibition as a little kid. And, um, but they, they saw so much of an increase in the standard of living. My mother grew up out in the country. She was Norwegian um, without running water or indoor plumbing or anything like that. She was a very attractive woman. Um, she ended up going out to California during World War II as well. And Rosie the Riveter, and she was not one of the, she was not real pleased to get shoved back into the house. But for them, their standard of living, especially for my mother, because they were really, they were hungry poor. Just, I mean, by the time they retired, it's like, man, I mean, they weren't wealthy, but it's just like owned a home. Dad bought his cars with a check, new cars. And, you know, they had pensions and health care and all the things. And I'll never see that. And what were his politics? He was Democrat for the most part. But unfortunately, that Cold War mentality came in to the whole Vietnam, which split the country down the middle. But my brother wanted to enlist. He's 11 years older than I. And dad talked him out of it because he says, you don't want to do jungle warfare. So he went to college, college deferment. But I do remember my older brothers and Mark and Kay are the oldest. And watching those, bing, those ping pong balls on the zenith black and white television in the basement with a popsicle stick stuck in it to turn it on so you didn't give yourself electric shock. But watching the, the numbers with the birth dates, because it's Brooklyn, they knew everybody's birthday. They're like, oh my God, so-and-so just got drafted. So, and they were just sitting there. And it's just like, such anxiety. It's like, so, you know, that's one of my earliest memories watching that. And, you know, it's split. And then dad, you know, of course, was into empire and whatnot because he bought, bought the whole domino theory in the cold war business which is unfortunate but, but he didn't want his but he didn't want his son to go fight for it. oh i know it's so hypocritical what about your mother but we were all, oh she stayed out of it she was probably she was kind of a, a feminist before it was a thing and but she just, you know, didn't want to argue about it. And God knows I didn't want to argue about it either. Because they were old. I mean, by the time Reagan came in, I was a freshman in college. And my father was, what, 69? Which doesn't seem old now, but it seemed old then. It's like, I'm not going to come home and fight with him why, about Why it, did he switch know? to Reagan from being a Democrat? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It was it was just so sad because his best friend was like Mr. Democrat of Vernon County. 
and we used to have like the county democratic fish fries we had a cottage down on the mississippi there were hundreds of people there but it was unfortunate but i don't know somehow vietnam just i have i know i've been listening to your podcast and for you and the McCarthy era and all that kind of was a big impact in your family. But I just think all of the hard hats versus the hippies just ripped a hole between the working people in the country and the whatever professional managerial class, if you want to use that term. Everybody's like, PNC, don't say that. Oh, Neil Liver, don't say that. Yada yada yada, but you know that was the that was the break right there. And to them, to the way my father saw it, it was like these rich college kids were telling him that he was stupid and bad and yada yada. And I know a lot of the Vietnam vets who came back to town had really bad experience. Did he support Nixon or did he switch to the Republicans with Reagan? He went back and forth. I don't think he, I mean, he wasn't like uber Nixon. He was just getting older and just got more and and went for Reagan. I don't, I mean, Nixon was elected in 1972 and I'm 10, I was 10. So I don't know. I wasn't paying attention in fifth grade who dad voted for. <laughs> but that's more the Vietnam War. Well, yeah. And that's what I know that's what. And he, I know he voted for Carter. Mm. The first in 76. Mm. So talk okay. a bit about. So is how typical is your dad of your of your neighbors? Is it? Well, things have changed so much that um well my dad they're all dead that whole world war generation two generations gone and i miss them because they were fun i mean i was gone from baroque from 1980 to 2004 for the most part so uh, everything changed and my neighbors This this is when you went to england well i went college in madison I spent one year in Orange County, and I thought I hate this. <laughs> it was like you are who you what you drive, and everybody's mean to me because I had a 1977 Orange Pontiac Ventura, but it had fifty thousand thousand miles on it. There's no way I'm buying a new car. This is paid for, mm-hmm. you know, so I didn't fit in, and I realized. And I think back and it's like, I, I could have bought a house then, but I was just thinking, I'd spend the rest of my life trapped in this smog paying for a house. And I hate it here. And I don't want to keep up with the Joneses on material things because it's not, just not the way I was brought up. And so I thought to hell with it. And the first chance I got, I, I went to London. I went there and Everybody had less money. I mean, Thatcher was in, but they hadn't completely taken over everybody's brain. After living in London, why do you go back to rural Wisconsin? Well, Adrian died, and I just, 
they say don't make big decisions six months until you wait six months. But I did. <laughs> and then I just kind of got trapped here because when we got married, you could not have dual citizenship. You had to pick. Oh, I'm a U.S. citizen or a U.K. citizen. So I had permanent residency. So I came back and my daughter was what, about eight, I suppose. And I don't know, 10, probably, eight, eight. And um, I just got trapped here. And it was okay for a while. I mean, go along, get along. I, I kind of slotted out of politics because I missed, it was the Iraq war and you know, I just didn't want to listen to stupid stuff. I listened to NPR and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't, I mean, I believed in socialized healthcare. I worked, or initially when I went to the UK, I was doing work and getting paid at um, St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London, which is, you know, kind of like the Mayo of the UK. And I was a big believer in the NHS and everyone I worked with, everyone I was around, nobody could imagine anything different. And, you know, coming back here and you're having a fight with somebody about the ACA or, you know, I just couldn't listen to the stupidity. And I did listen to NPR until it got really terrible and just kind of slotted out. And, you know, I, I knocked a few doors for Obama in 2008. I didn't have high hopes just because I was... You know, people say, oh, you're a liberal. And I say, well, I'm a bit, several steps to the left of liberal, but you can say that, I guess. So how, to what extent do you get involved in these kinds of political, social discussions with your, with your neighbors now? Well, we all got excited in 2016, or I got activated with Bernie, 2015. It's like, oh my God. Well... In Wisconsin politics, I got involved after Scott Walker enacted Act 10. And as I said before, there were hundreds of thousands, 100,000 people in the streets of Madison every weekend in the winter of 2011. And it was like some of those days, it was like, well, you're from Canada. It was like a high of 11. And these were middle-aged teachers and, you know, firefighters and, and cops for labor. And it was the Koch brothers. I mean, they just spent so much money. They just took over. And they inundated, you know, labor had already been just compromised. And they convinced all these people that, that teachers and um, state workers who were still getting a decent living were the enemy because they'd seen their um, standard of living drop precipitously because of the farm crisis and because of deindustrialization. And so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we had a little, it's kind of funny. I was actually on a deployment and I was on Facebook at the time and I thought there was an Occupy Viroqua site. <laughs> I thought, oh, geez. And we've had what is there, about, about 4,000 people in Viroqua? 
Yeah. When I was growing up, it was 3,739, but it's a little over mm. 4,000. We've been gentrified. We have a Waldorf school, so we have all sorts of um, upper middle class people from the Midwest flocking here for the small town experience. And they all think all the locals are really stupid and redneck because that's what they've been told. And you, you told me, so you got you got involved in Wisconsin politics when the, the governor was trying to get civil servants to more or less pay for their own health care. When he care. did. So uh, did. And there was quite an opposition to it, as you say, tens of thousands of people. Hundreds, hundred thousand um, people, several weekends. I mean, it was huge. And so what happened to all that? Uh, where, where did that momentum go? How does Wisconsin go from you know, 100,000 people protesting to a state to that, you know, large portions of the state at the very least are vote Republican, vote Trump. Uh, well, we were always uh, kind of a blue-purple state anyhow. I mean, last 2020, we just tipped over back to Biden. 2016, we were Trump. 2012, Obama. 2008. Obama, 2004, Kerry. But a lot of those people who voted for Obama voted oh, yeah. for Trump. So how do you explain what they went through to go from Obama to well, Trump? Obama campaigned on populist economic rhetoric. So did Trump. Economic populism, left, you know, economic, left economic policy, redistribution policies, and poor people want that. They don't, they don't care. They don't, they don't like identity politics. I mean, most poor people don't care about identity politics, and that's what the, you know, Democratic Party is now. And it's just like Piketty. I mean, not that I understand. Who understands Wall Street? Who understands um, financial capitalism? But, you know, I've gotten little snippets from Thomas Piketty. I, I, I tried to, I listened to the whole audio book, not that I understood it. But one thing that really struck out was like, you know, the whole concept of we have two ruling class parties. The Democrats are the Brahmin elite and the Republicans are the merchant elite. And, and Michael Moore was the one who predicted it in 2016 in Missouri. They're going to just give a big finger to Hillary because she just represents the highest areas of GDP, as she said later, and just say, we want something different. We want Trump. I mean, the whole system of global finance capital is pretty obvious to me and to every poor person out there that something is wrong and it's got to change. Because, I mean, for someone like me who grew up and, you know, we never had a lot of money. I never even thought I was working class until I went to college and met rich kids. <laughs> You know, I've talked to different Lutheran ministers. Yeah, I didn't know I was poor until I went to college. It's like, yeah, me, neither did I. And, you know, so that's first 
an introduction to classism, I guess I got, but whatever. There, it is what it is. And maybe I was here idealizing something that was long gone growing up. I don't know. The, the neighbors of yours, uh, who some of whom would have voted for Obama and then became disillusioned, are they still, I, in my opinion, illusioned uh, with Trump and the Republicans? Uh, like, and I certainly understand why they got disillusioned from the Democrats. There's every reason to. Why are they still illusioned by Trump and the Republicans? Because they hate the Democrats. Because the Democrats give off the impression that they looked on on them, and they do. But a lot of these people voted for Bernie in the primaries. Every county in Wisconsin in 2016, except for one, went for Bernie. If Bernie had been the Democratic candidate, you think he could have beaten Trump in Wisconsin? I do. I, I know people think I'm delusional, but yes, I do. I believe it. And I know there's plenty of people who are far more politically astute who would say, no, they wouldn't. Oh, we have to rebuild the uh, labor, the, you know, the power of labor. We can't do it through electoral plot politics. It's just like, okay, let's rebuild the labor movement out of what? Uh, I mean, I'll be living on a thousand dollars a month, social, a week, so or whatever, a month, social security. And that will never happen in my lifetime. So that's nice to say that if you're an academic, but it sucks for us. Mm. And will it happen? Do you I mean, with a bunch of kids in Brooklyn and DSA, come on. I mean, sorry, I hate to be so cynical, but it's like sometimes I want to take them and shake them. But, but they are doing uh, electoral politics, in some cases winning. Uh, they've had some breakthroughs. In, yeah, that's uh, that lot of good it does us here. Well, what would it take to get something going there? I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I would like to see a real New Deal, a real redistribution. I would like to see federal make work jobs. I mean, this whole infrastructure bill, it's like, geez, in 2017, the estimated is like $4.6 trillion just to update the infrastructure. And I have seen this working for FEMA and the public assistance system. There, the infrastructure is just so shot. I mean, I go to these little tiny towns, hollowed out towns in Nebraska or whatever, and it's like they can hardly claim anything because the only piece of equipment in this one township was a riding lawnmower. Actually, that was in Missouri. But the infrastructure shot, you know, their, their septic system's shot, but it's deferred maintenance, or, you know, so they don't qualify. So when FEMA comes in, it's like they try to get every bridge they have, whether it was damaged in that disaster or not, fixed. Because this is their chance to get some money because they've been so starved of money to rebuild the infrastructure. So, I mean, what would it take in Wisconsin? I don't know. Another WPA, another CCC, something like that. These are the, but, these are oh, the FDR New Deal work programs. 
Yeah, well, yes. I mean, a commitment to rebuilding our towns and our infrastructure and not telling everyone who stayed here that they've made poor personal choices and deserve to live in poverty for the rest of their lives because they don't have the proper credentials. I was just like, well, you know, I've come across it because my postgraduate education, well, my bachelor's degree from the United States is in analytical chemistry. It's like, that'll get you a job, not, especially when you're older and you haven't used it for ages. But my British qualifications was a landscape architect. We work in all of the EU, EU, parts of any part that, anything that was once in the Commonwealth. I could work in Canada, but not in the United States. Doesn't count, can't do it. Have you ever thought of running for office yourself? <sighs> Years ago, People would always say, oh, Anne, run for mayor. <laughs> but um, I don't know if it has, if I have what it takes, because at this point, I'm tired. I'm old and I am angry. And the whole Democratic Party is just so brainwashed into this neoliberalism and um, identity politics. I just don't think I could stomach it. I'm just too pissed off. I really am. And I don't think they'd be, they would back. Well, anyway. well you could run, could run like Sanders people. did in some ways against the Democratic Party. Well, I don't think that I'm, I, I hate committee <laughs> meetings and stuff. I'm not, I am not. Suited. Amongst your friends and neighbors, are there people that buy into the QAnon view of things and this, you know, sort of extreme Trumpism? And and if there are people, do do you talk about any of this kind well, of stuff? You don't want to go out and have fights with people about the particulars, but just talking to them, they are like me, and they know that the system is broken, and they want to change. And, you know, I mean, QAnon is nuts, but how about Russiagate? Come on, pick your conspiracy. Hate Inc., Matt Taib, <laughs> I mean, Maddow or what's his face on Fox. It's like, I don't, I don't get cables. Tucker Carlson, you know, pick your, Pick your team and, and root for it. They're both um, stenographers for the ruling class. And my mm -hmm. Trumpy neighbors, it's like, I mean, I had the benefit of living in my most formative adult years in East London. They don't have really well-defined politics. They just know that this isn't working and they want to change. That's why they voted for Sanders, that's why they voted for Obama because of his populist um, rhetoric. That's why they voted for Trump. And everybody flipped out because Trump was so bad, whatnot. And they just kind of, 
people can switch back to the Democrats just to save the post office and stuff. Plus, Chuck, I have a neighbor across the street. She's a nurse. But her husband's a Vietnam vet, and her son's a cop. And they, they stuck the Trump sign on. I'm not going to fight with them about it. But she was talking about the anti-vaxxers. And she goes, well, she kind of looked, because I'd always had the, all the Bernie signs in, in my yard which got ripped off actually after he dropped out. And I don't know if it was the Democrat or a Republican who did it. <laughs> Biden. So, yeah. Blue MAGA or red MAGA stole my Bernie sign. But yeah, that's an aside. But she said, and she's a nurse, she goes, all these liberals here won't get vaccines. And because we have this whole Waldorf community and they're very kind of strange and libertarian, there's a bazillion anti-vaxxers. They're, they are the anti-vaxxers in this town. The wealthy, white, Waldorf really? with money. Who don't, they come here and they live on trust funds. I remember when they first started coming in, and it was the 90s, I had come home to visit my parents. And my mother goes, this is still in Verocos. Had a bit of a downtown. She goes, they seem nice enough, but none of them seem to work. What do they live on? And I said, mm. Mom, it's called a trust fund. And I had to explain to her what it was because she had never met people who didn't have to work for a living. How badly did COVID affect the, your area? In what regard? Well, either in terms of deaths economically well, um, I mean, it's still Wisconsin. You know, it's we're crippled and bleeding, but it's not Texas. Which, you know, I don't want to be mean about any state, but and, I mean, not terribly, I would say. Economically, yeah, we lost uh, uh, several restaurants. In the last, one of the last dive bars in town, which which was a tragedy. <laughs> and um, I've been on unemployment, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, people are, are worse off. They're worse off. But, I mean, it wasn't huge months of deaths. It's fairly um, not uh, very densely populated. I mean, and it's, like I said, it's Lake Walbegon. Everybody's stuck there. One of the things I wanted to say is I, I deactivated my Facebook account. I mean, I was sick of it anyway. But after Bernie dropped out, because all of these vote blue, no matter who, people just were just savagely attacking me. And, I mean, they are just were so mean and dreadful. It's just like, do you understand for a person like me, the difference between Biden and the difference between Bernie is a difference between having hope and not having hope. It's like with Bernie, and who knows what would have happened, but you know, the, the idea of having a retirement, the idea of having enough money to live on, the idea of having socialized health care. It would just take this knot out of my stomach that I've had in it since 2006.
it's it's terrifying to live that way. And I guess, you know, that's what I have in common with my Trump neighbors. I mean, everybody's like Trump, all these it's these strange rural Americans. It's like some David Attenborough documentary where let's go look at these weird natives who live in, in rural areas. And, you know, Texas grid is destroyed by neoliberalism and privatization, which was started with Reagan, but Clinton, you know, stepped the final nail in the coffin and Obama bailed out Wall Street and everybody else is screwed. I mean, we've seen a real downturn here since 2008, big time. And they're crowing over the fact that people, well, they shouldn't have voted for Trump. It's like, oh, their electrical grid. It's taken 45 years to get this terrible. And you're crowing over the fact that people are dying and they deserve it because they're a red state. And that just makes me sick because mm. I've been all over this country in red states and blue states. And there are so many poor people. And it's just disgusting. And I'm so sick of coaching it and coaching it in terms like this when we are in meltdown um, ecologically and as a society. So I don't know. I feel so much more, I feel so more angry at the vote blue no matter who, mean people who crow over people dying in Texas than I do over some QAnon nut. At least the QAnon nut sees that we are in. All right. Thanks for joining us, Anne. Okay. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. And we're going to invite Anne back again to continue our, our discussion. Please don't forget the donate button, subscribe, and share, and all of that. Mm -hmm.